worship today there's a chorus that we're going to sing and it's, it's just all to help us prepare as we see Jesus as we kind of focus on why we're here and there's so many external things that can draw our attention away from this place but as we begin our time of worship let's sing together open our eyes Lord our opening hymn, Down at the Cross, give glory to his name. May we stand together. It's hymn 252. Let's sing together.
understanding is you take a time just for a second to turn to your left, turn to your right, give you a chance to greet one another, welcome each other to the Lord's house as we sing our welcome chorus. announcements I would like to refer you to. If you will look in your bulletin, we'll turn the lights up so you can see that bulletin and find that bulletin. There's a couple of announcements. Uh, As you can see, the mobile pantry, July 29th. I won't take the time to read everything about it. You can read these announcements, but that's the 29th of July. And then our all-church potluck fellowship on July the 30th. Chicken and drinks will be provided. You're asked to bring your favorite side dish or favorite dessert and that's a great night one of the important aspects of the church is worship another is evangelism and one is fellowship and fellowship's important for our church as we as we grow together in faith so i hope you'll be here for that fellowship um, on sunday i do want to make reference to the sanctuary flowers today in memory of bonnie l wilson by gary and tina wilson Kayla, Drew, and Hunter, Tracy and Brad Gore, Brian and Tara Burris, Braden, Britton, and Bennett, Brett and Jerriana Gore, Barrett and Bridger, Gina Burden, Ryan and Robin, and Donna Wilson. And the flowers are so beautiful. We appreciate this family uh, giving these to our, uh, to our church today. And also, last but not least, we have a pulpit guest that we're so excited uh, to hear again. And he's, he's not a stranger uh, to First Baptist because he has been here before and spoken before, Dr. Rob Finley. Uh, he and his wife head up Prayer Resources Ministry. They've been leading conferences throughout the world and in America for about 38 years. Uh, he's an author. He's written books, a conference leader, and spoken in about 1,200 churches, 1,200 churches through the years. So... I know that you'll be praying for Dr. Finley as he comes uh, later in the service to preach to us. We're looking forward to thank you, Dr. Finley, for being here. So before we continue to worship, we're going to have a moment of prayer. And uh, Michael's going to come and lead us uh, as we pray. Thank you, Michael. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we take a moment just to say thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have as brothers and sisters in the faith to be able to fellowship, to worship with you, 
And Lord, we just ask now that you would bless this time. Thank you for Dr. Finley and his message. We ask that you would speak through him and that his message might might strengthen our faith and it might uh, help us as we go through the week. Lord, we're thankful for this church and we're thankful for our community. And we just ask, Lord, that you just continue to go before us in all that we do. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. Thank you quite. Let me see Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 through 25. Let's read God's word together. You follow along as I lead. Therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love 
and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. May God bless the reading of his word. Jesus is the song of life. This is our offertory hymn. May we stand together as we sing. It is hymn number 620. Let's stand as we sing. My Savior is the Lord and King. He has control of everything. He loves me and He bids me sing. He gives His song to me. Jesus is the song of life. Jesus is the song of joy. Jesus is the song of for our prayer. Art Ross will come and lead us. We have a special prayer request this morning that uh, was given to me earlier before the service and we want to be remembering the Rob Jordan family and I assured, thank you FIBA for sending that to me earlier and I assured uh, them that we would be praying for them. Uh, Rob has a nephew that was seven years old, a niece, I'm sorry, a niece, seven years old that was uh, killed in an accident uh, this weekend. So we want to be praying for this family. That family's had several tragedies in recent days. And if you'll pray for Rob, the Rob Jordan family during this time, we want to, uh, to remember them. Art, lead us as we pray. Will you pray with me? Our Father God, we give thanks to you for this beautiful day. And we lift up to you the family that has just been mentioned. We pray for the message today and the messenger. We give thanks to you for this time in our service that we can return to you that which you have blessed us with. We pray that you bless these tithes and offerings. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have looked so forward to worshiping with you this morning. Uh, I love the worship time here. Been meditating this morning on that opening section of Revelation chapter 4 where Jesus opens the door 
you hear a voice who says, come up hither, and I'll show you things that are going to happen. The first thing, one of the first things you see is God on the throne, center of all the universe. There's no throne like that one. God's on the throne, and around him, seraphims. You think singing is good here. You think singing is good at a Graham crusade. Wait till you hear the four seraphims. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Then joined by the 24 elders in response. Beautiful. There are 15 songs in the book of Revelation. And uh, that's the first song that we anticipate hearing. And then hearing the 24 elders. What a wonderful time of worship. Wouldn't it be great? If they had Brother Richard lead us and worship sometime in heaven. And y'all say, hey, I knew him. <laughs> what a day that will be. Authentic Christianity, if you're turning your Bible with me to Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. There are seven books in your New Testament that focus on false teaching. Usually anytime you see a second, he's trying to correct the first. So there's the false teaching Peter's trying to correct. It was spreading throughout the early church. And that false teaching essentially was this. You can become a Christian without any transformation or change. That's false. That's not New Testament. Jesus said, except you become converted, you should not see the kingdom of heaven. So Peter is going to put before them authentic or genuine Christianity as opposed to a synthetic Christianity. Our defective Christianity. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, we pray that as we handle your word, anoint and fill your servant with your spirit. Touch our ears, touch our hearts. May the message descend from the ears to the heart, from the mind to the heart, and implant it within us. Teach us this morning by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Peter is going to state that authentic Christianity, genuine Christianity, is a progression. It's not something static, status quo. You grow and you progress in your Christian life. And his secret is two thoughts. One is to become uh, purity in belief, sound doctrine but also purity in behavior, sound behavior. So he's going to try to ground us in those two thoughts, sound doctrine and sound or separated behavior. Your talk should match your walk. If you've been converted, it ought to outflow out of your life into the lives of others. And Peter is going to mention here to give all diligence. That word diligence means to give your full attention. And energies too. So he's telling us, if we're going to grow in the Christian life, we need to give our full attention to it. It's not going to be some, something you can do on the fly, something that's going to be casual. Casual Christianity isn't what Peter's going to describe here. Diligence, Colossians 3.23, that whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. Some people I have found look good as a Christian 
on paper. Oh, they've, they've done this, they've done that, they've made a decision, they've been baptized, they have served here, they've served there in the church. They look good on paper. But when the trials come, when the testing comes, when the temptations come, then the genuine, the real, begins to reveal itself. We've had some testings in these last few years. And you're seeing many, many Christians on paper begin to fall away. Greater testings are yet to come. And we shall see how some fare. Now when it comes to authentic Christianity, as Peter gets ready to describe it, I want you to get the context He's going to show us a sequence. He's going to show us a pattern. This pattern is revealed in the scriptures 12 times at least. In the Old Testament, it's revealed through the seven feasts of the Lord. As God the Father discipled the children of Israel annually, walking them through these seven feasts. Each of these feasts have a theme to it. God the Father is teaching the disciples teaching the Israelites these steps of discipling, if you please. Also are the furniture, the pieces of furniture in the tabernacle and temple, the seven pieces of furniture. Each of them, too, have a theme and a truth to them. And as you walk in order through that uh, tabernacle or temple, you'll find that this theme is repeated. It's the same theme that was in the Feast of the Lord. So God the Father was discipling the Israelites annually. That means by the time you get to be 18, you've gone through this 18 times. When you get to be 80, you've gone through it 80 times. And then you have Jesus Christ. Jesus started with his disciples, a discipleship approach of authentic Christianity. It is a sequence and a pattern matched up with the seven feasts, matched up with the pieces of furniture. He will walk these disciples through. Halfway through the seven steps, he'll begin to work with the 70. So he's going to take the 12 all the way through, but he's going to start working halfway through with the 70, and he'll begin over with the 70. It's about a three-year process, and Jesus is discipling the 12. The same way God the Father discipled the Israelites. And then when you come to the New Testament, when you study Paul in Romans chapter uh, 9, when you look at the writings of Peter that we'll look at here shortly, look at James, you'll begin to see the same pattern repeated, the same sequence. If you looked at the life of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, You'll see this same pattern lived out in the life of Jesus. When Stephen was about to be stoned, he walked you through Abraham and Moses showing that same pattern. And if you were to look at the life of Paul, look at the life of Peter, you'll see this same pattern. If you studied the Beatitudes by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, and if you were to look at the sermon by John the Baptist, In Luke chapter 3, you'll see this same pattern repeated over and over and over again. Some of you have lived long enough that you might remember back when you got in trouble. (laughs) And your mother or your father said, now, 
Haven't I already told you this? Yes, you have. How many times am I going to have to tell it to you? God is telling us how to disciple people. He's teaching us the pattern of authentic Christianity. Over and over and over. How many times does God have to tell us? And yet I'll stand before you today. And I will share with you. 90% of the people in our church. Have never been discipled. And those who have been discipled. Probably something like 80% of them. Are not discipling others. The great commission. Is to go. And make disciples. We're not doing too good a job either. So I want us to look this morning at this area of these steps. If you want to go further, uh, Carl Wilson, that used to be with the Billy Graham Crusade, has written a book. And that book is with Christ in the School of Disciple Building, where he will walk you through these seven steps in the life of Jesus training the twelve. Carl Wilson. You can also look at Robert Coleman, the Master Plan of Evangelism, professor at Asbury Seminary, where the revival recently broke out. And he will show you in the Master Plan of Evangelism these seven steps. Or you could go to A.B. Brutes in the Training of the Twelve. So there are those resources. If you can't find them, you can buy our book on discipleship preaching. We'll lay it out for you, show you those seven sequential steps. But let me walk you through it this morning. Let's look here at the sequence in verses 5 through 7. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Here are those seven steps. Let me walk you through it. First is faith. You begin with faith. That's the starting point. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, 6, Without faith it is impossible to please him. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him. That's the first step. As you go out and you witness to somebody and you share Christ, the importance is not the church. The importance is Jesus Christ and his need for, this person's need for conversion. So you start with faith. That's the starting point. I'm going to give you some S words to help you remember the sequence a little easier. It's a mental uh, uh, trick, I guess. The first is salvation. That's the starting point. What does that person need? He needs to be saved. He needs faith in Jesus Christ. But you add to that virtue. You add to that a separated lifestyle. When that person is converted, what does he need? Well, unfortunately, what we do in our church, when somebody comes and makes a decision, and we take that person, we put him in a new member's class. He's not ready for that. Or we put him in some organization. He's not ready for that. What does he need? He needs to live a separated life. He needs out of his old habits, his old strongholds, his old language, his old lifestyle. He needs a life of separation. So you start with salvation and then a separated lifestyle. Uh, Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, Be ye separate, saith the Lord, 
In Exodus chapter 8, verse 23, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. God wants to make a distinction. He wants people to be able to look at our lives and see by our life a difference. I remember being in India, and the director there, Pian Kurian, said, I will show you something as we drive down the street. I will point out to you the Christians. And as we drove down the street, he said, there goes the Christian. There goes another one. There goes another one. You could tell by the countenance on these people's faces. You could also tell by the conservative, modest dress and apparel. People ought to be able to look at your life and say, there goes a Christian. Be separate. So you start with salvation. The next step is a separated lifestyle. Then comes knowledge, our surrender. As this person grows in Christ, you begin to teach them Scripture, he begins to memorize Scripture, meditate on Scripture, read the Scriptures. But it's not enough just to read and hear. They need to surrender to those truths. So the third word here is surrender, yielding to biblical truths. Colossians 1.9, For this cause we desire that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding increasing in the knowledge of God. I stress the word surrender because all too often there are people that give a passing acknowledgement to biblical truths. They say, oh, I believe that. But when a crisis comes that involves that person or their family, well, then they back away from it. And I've heard preachers stand in the pulpit and thunder strong on some doctrine, some point, until it happened to their family. Then they change their message. No, they've never surrendered to the truth. If it's truth, it's good during times of testing and temptation. So you take that person, he experiences salvation. Next, as a separated lifestyle, then you begin to you teach them how to surrender to biblical truth. Now comes the interesting point. That word there is temperance or self-control. You and I know that we cannot live the Christian life on our own. You can have all the Bible verses memorized, but that's going to be insufficient. It's not self-control, it's spirit control. What that person needs now is to learn how to trust the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be ye filled with the Spirit. Romans 12.2, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So now this person who is saved, he's living a separate life, he's surrendering to the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is filling his life. You know what's going to happen next? (laughs) He's going to suffer. If you're converted and you're living different than the world and you're living according to the scriptures and you're living and being filled with the Holy Spirit, the world is going to react. Satan is going to react. Your flesh is going to react. So now you begin to suffer. And the two byproducts of suffering, it's like the oyster that's got that grain of sand as it begins to uh, process that grain of sand, makes it a pearl. So it is in our life. As we suffer, there are, there's this refining process that takes place. And suffering produces patience and goodness. First of all, patience. This is long suffering, our endurance. Galatians 6, 9 Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall not 
we shall reap if we faint not. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. If you're going to live godly, according to the scriptures, filled with the spirit of God, you are going to suffer. And that builds patience, endurance in our life. But not only that, it builds goodness and godliness. The Bible tells us here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. This suffering produces in us a piety, uh, a purity, a godliness. So you're going to suffer. We need to prepare people for that. Some people think once you've become a Christian that everything is going to be fine. <laughs> no, probably not. You're going to suffer. Satan's not going to like it. Your family is probably not going to like it. Your flesh is not going to like it. There may be people in the church that may not like it. So you're going to suffer. But suffering produces a sensitivity. Brotherly kindness is the next word. Sensitivity to those around us who likewise are suffering and are hurting. The Bible tells us here in Romans 12, verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. 1 Peter 1, 22, seeing that we have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit with unfeigned love for the brethren. It teaches us through suffering to love others and in particular, love the brethren. Some of the hardest people in the, in the world to love, unfortunately, are other Christians. You've been around the church long enough. You realize sometimes they're some of the hardest people to get along with. But going through suffering, you realize they're suffering too. And they are suffering the same same type of trials and temptations that we suffer. And it gives us an opportunity to show love and brotherly kindness. And then the last is old King James's charity, our love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 For the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. 1 Peter 1, 22, love one another. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. For the greatest of these is love. What's the goal of the Christian life? The goal is to take us from, infant, from infancy to maturity, and the maturity is love. The more you grow in Christ, the more you ought to love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, and that you have love one for another said Jesus Christ. So here is that sequence. Salvation, separation, surrender, spirit control, suffering, sensitivity, spirituality, which is love. Some, unfortunately, have plateaued off somewhere along the line. That concerns us all a great deal. Others have omitted a step. Maybe they experienced salvation, but they skipped about the separation, they got involved in the church, they began to surrender some truth. And what happens, they get into a place of leadership, but they never got down there to those unresolved conflicts of a separated lifestyle. And then suddenly some sin, some unresolved conflict becomes public. They never learned how to have a separated lifestyle. Or maybe they experience salvation and separation, but they never surrendered to truth. Somewhere along the line, they're going to get, that's going to catch up with them. Or perhaps they have experienced salvation, separation, surrender, but they've never yielded to the Spirit. 
And now they're out in ministry. They're serving in the church, but they're not serving by the Spirit. They're serving in the flesh. And on and on I could go. Don't omit a step. It's like playing a violin with one of the strings missing. Just not going to have a good sound to it. Also, I would say this morning, if there is a step that you have skipped, go back to it. Nail that down. If there's a sin, if there's a stronghold in your Christian life, go back and nail that down. If you have not surrendered to certain truths, you've doubted and you've argued over these truths, surrender to those biblical truths. If you've been living in the flesh and not in the spirit, go back. Ask the Holy Spirit to train you, to teach you how to live in the spirit. This is that sequence. And you this morning, all of us, are either adding to are subtracting from. You're not standing still. There's no static Christianity. You're either adding and growing, or you're declining one way or the other. But notice, if you would, the second one, the confidence of authentic Christianity, verse 8. The authentic Christianity. For if these things be in you, I'm going to wait for the screen to show up. Do we have that verse? If not, I'll read it from here. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about the confidence that comes from authentic Christianity. You and I ought to be able to have confidence with the word, confidence with ministering to others, talking to a lost person. We ought to have confidence because this is being built in our life. If these things are being built in our life, and they abound. We will not be barren nor unfruitful. So he's mentioning two things here. There ought to be evident change. There ought to be evident change. We should not be barren. There should be a change taking place in our life. You and I should not be the same as we were a year ago. As we were five years ago. One of the things that has always bothered me as a minister is I look at some people's life and I see them from where they were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, and I don't see any change. There ought to be change. I tell my family, some of my family are here, if you don't see change in my life, you need to ask me about it. There ought to be evident change. I should not be barren. There should be the Holy Spirit and Scripture speaking to us, but also evident fruit. Evident fruit, it ought to be impacting others. As we are growing, it ought to impact others. We ought to be winning people to Christ. We ought to be counseling people in their struggles. We ought to be having an influence and an impact on others. So there ought to be that evident change and evident fruit. Now you come to verse 9. The consequences of synthetic Christianity. Well, this is interesting. The consequences of a synthetic, a defective Christianity. Have you ever gotten a defective part? I remember one time I... Had an automobile in for service, and the mechanic came and showed me my alternator. He said, you see this alternator? Right here, there should be a vacuum hole, but it's a defective part. I'm going to drill a hole. You'll be free to go. There are those who have bought into a defective type of Christianity, a synthetic type of Christianity. It's not the genuine. It's not the authentic. Notice what he says here in verse 9. But he, he changes pronouns from a second person pronoun 
to a third person pronoun. He's not talking about you right now. He's talking about that person. But if he lacks those things, he's blind and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged or cleansed from his old sins. Here is a defective type of Christianity that was spreading, spreading throughout Asia Minor and is in the church today. And this type of Christianity is defective in two areas. One is what I call spiritual astigmatism. Spiritual astigmatism. They're blind. They have no discernment. They can't tell you the difference between right and wrong. Clean and unclean. Holy and profane. Truth and error. You're hearing it all the time on radio and television. People say, why can't they see it? It's so evident what's going on. They can't see it. Just like Israel has has had a blindness, America has a blindness right now. Satan has blinded the eyes. And unfortunately in our church, there are those in our church who have a blindness. They cannot discern the things of the Lord. And as a result, they argue over it. They'll take some small insignificant verse, if there is an insignificant verse, but they'll take some small verse, some small doctrine, they'll argue over it. They'll debate it. They have no discernment into spiritual things. But also what I call spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. They forget. They forget from where they came. They forget that Christ died on the cross for their sins. They forget the Bible truths that they have been taught, sometimes from childhood. So they have this spiritual stigmatism. They can't see right. And spiritual amnesia. They can't remember right. And yet they're out there trying to live. Peter is saying, if these seven disciplines are not progressing in a person's life, they will lack discernment and they'll lack determination to live the Christian life. Without this progression in a person's life, you have no assurance of your salvation. You have no assurance. You might think you are. Demons believe. (laughs) You can believe, but you may not have been changed. It ought to be growing. You ought to be maturing in your Christian life. As a believer, you ought to be growing. I remember one time I was in a revival in Oklahoma. The pastor asked me, would I be willing to go visit a man? I said, sure. We got in the car. We went out to visit him. And in route, he told me about this man. He said, this person accepted Christ during a revival several years ago. And we baptized him. At first, he uh, joined the church and got active. But then over time, he quit coming to the church. And about that time, we had arrived at his house. We went in. We met the man. The pastor introduced me. And then the pastor kind of sat back and got quiet. Like, Rob, it's your turn. I said, well, let me understand some things. As I understand from the pastor, a few years ago, you came during a revival service. You accepted Christ. You came forward and you uh, you made a decision for Christ. And you followed up and you were baptized. And for a while you attended church. But you're no longer going to church. Is that right? He said, yes, that's right. I said, well, are you going to another church? He said, no, I'm really not going anywhere right now. I said, this is interesting. Do you mind if I ask you a few more questions? He said, oh, yeah, go ahead. 
I said, if you're not going to church, do you have a consistent daily quiet time of Bible reading and prayer? And he said, no, not, no, not really. I said, when you're not going to church, do you send your tithe to the church? <laughs> he kind of snickered and laughed and said, no, I don't. I said, when you're at work, do you tell the people around you that you're a Christian? Well, no. No, I don't. So one last question. Can you give me any evidence that you've been converted? Boy, he got mad. I thought he was going to come up uh, out of that couch. He was upset. He said, where in the Bible does it say we ought to do any of those things anyway? I said, well, I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says that we ought not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as is the custom. You're not assembling. You're not going to church. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says that we ought to study to show ourselves a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. We ought to be studying God's word. The Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we ought to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. We ought to be bringing our tithes and offerings into the house of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that we ought to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks the hope that lies within us. Then 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 tells us that we ought to pray without ceasing. I went through several scriptures. Then I got to the end. I said, now in light of the fact that God tells us that we should be doing these things, can you today give me any evidence that you've been converted? He couldn't do it. Men and women, if I can ask five questions and disarm you concerning where you are in your Christian faith, something is wrong. Something is vitally wrong. But that's where many people are at our church. They'll talk about, oh, I'm, I'm conservative. And I remember talking to one man, he said, oh, I'm conservative. I said, well, you're politically conservative, financially conservative, but that's about where it ends. I said, you're going to one of the most liberal churches in town. I know you smoke. I know you drink. You don't know that I know this, but I know you're womanizing. But you want to be called conservative. You're not conservative. We've got these tags that we like, these labels that we like, we hold on to. Here's the reality check. If you're not progressing in your Christian life, you have no assurance of your salvation. There ought to be growth. Peter talks about here that if these things are in your life, you shall not fall. That word fall is the word from which we get the word apostate. You will not become an apostate. What is an apostate? An apostate is somebody who has read the truth, who has received the truth, rejected the truth, and now resists the truth. There are those in our churches today, at one time they received the truth, and they pursued it for a while, but then they got to a point where they were rejecting parts of the truth in Christianity and the church, and now they resent it when you begin to share the scriptures. That's that word apostate. If you are growing and these things are abounding in your life, you don't need to worry about ending up in false teaching, in false apostasy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says, in these last days there's going to be a great falling away. That's that word apostate. It's going to be a falling away. Numerically, they're falling away. Doctrinally, 
they're falling away. Preaching, they're falling away. Morally, they're falling away. We're living in a time of apostasy. Jude chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 24. God is able to keep you from falling. That's that same word. God is able to keep you from falling. And how does he do that? If you are growing, progressing, maturing, and abounding in these sequence. Let me bring you to my last point, my last thought. Verses 10 through 11. The diligence of authentic Christianity. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things you shall never fall. Verse 11. For an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is assured persistence. The assured persistence. We have been elected. We have been called. We have responded to that. Now we live it out. As it has been brought into our life, we need to live it out into our life. And then the assured perseverance, the resolve of going into through that entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that assurance, that diligence. I remember one time I was pastoring a church in Texas. I had a staff member. He was... Um, an interesting fellow, but made an interesting new one in my job, to be honest with you. Uh, he wanted to pastor the church I was pastoring. And he came and sat down in my office one day and he said, there are three stages to growing an apple. Okay. He said, first, the planting stage. Second, the picking stage. And the third, the polishing stage. He said, there are three stages to the Christian life. And he said, I'm on that polishing stage. <laughs> Here's this 22, 24-year-old man, young man telling me, I'm at the polishing stage. Let me tell you something. You're never going to arrive. As you go through these steps, you're not going to get to a point that you have arrived. And every godly, mature Christian that I've ever met would never say, I'm at the polishing stage. Instead, they would be humble. And sometimes even broken. Realizing how far they have come in their Christian life. So you're never going to arrive. But that's not the point. The point is continuing to grow. My wife and I love a young couple that we were in the process of discipling years ago. Uh, They had dated each other for some ten years. And every year she expected a proposal at Christmas time. And an engagement ring. And they came to the 10th Christmas and there's no proposal. There's no ring. And uh, she said, I've given you 10 of the best years of my life. It's over. He came to our house Christmas Eve in tears. He wept. We wept with him. Somewhere around 3 o'clock in the morning, it dawned on him like a light bulb. I, I I could see it almost registered. As we were talking about, there ought to be a progress are a progression in your relationship with her. From dating, to courtship, to marriage, having children, on and on. But you're at a status quo. You've not grown anywhere in your relationship with her since probably year one or two. Boy, it went light bulbs. And I want to give you a good ending to it. They are married and have been married now for 30 years. 
But the point is, there are those in our church that are not growing. They're sitting still, static, status quo. There ought to be a progression. And I hope this morning that there's been a time for you to examine your Christian life. I want us, in these closing moments, I want to reverse the sequence and let you walk through and let the Holy Spirit speak to you as to where you are. Reverse that sequence. And I would ask you, is your life full of love? Are you a loving person? Do people around you sense and feel that love? Secondly, are you kind? Are you a kind person? Are you an unkind person? Are you getting better or bitter? (laughs) I go to the many times the nursing homes and it's so full of bitter people. All that they've been privileged to live and see in their life, but they've gotten bitter instead of better. Is there love? No. Kindness? Are you kind? No. Are you patient? As you've gone through suffering, have you become patient in goodness and godliness? What about this area of spirit control? Is the Holy Spirit leading your life? Are you making your decisions independent of the word, independent of the Holy Spirit? And then this area of surrender. Are there still verses of the Bible still teaching that you argue over, debate over, doubt? Or have you surrendered to the scriptures? Are you living a separated life? Are there strongholds in your life? Addictions in your life? That you've not gotten victory over? And when I start hearing somebody say, no, 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 no. I've got to come back to the first one. Has there ever been salvation that has really taken place in your life? Is there real genuine faith? The real article? Why aren't you growing? There ought to be a progression in your Christian life. And let me say this. The next step in your Christian life, as you look at that sequence, the next step is usually going to be a step of faith. It's going to be a challenge. We used to give in our churches two invitations. Brother Richard will remember this. We used to give two invitations, one for salvation. The other is rededication of your life. We don't give that last one anymore. But in essence, we need to. Because there are those in our church who need to take that next step in the Christian life. They are saved. But sitting in the pew making bargains isn't going to cut it. I have found the next step in that progression usually takes a decisive action on my part. And it will on yours. A decisive action. Then I'd encourage you if you've skipped a step, go back and confess it to the Lord. Go back and strengthen that area. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. But you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure that your sin will find you out. It will eventually catch up with you. If you don't nail it down. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Thank you so much. I've obviously had a full message. And I've moved through it pretty quickly. Thank you for your patience and listening This is an important message. For there are those in our church that have never been discipled. If they had been discipled, if we had been diligent to disciple others, there would be those who would be here today. They're not here because we didn't disciple them. They came, they attended church, they went to Sunday school, they never got discipled. 
Don't blame them, blame us. What's the next step in your life? So if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ. He's not Lord of your life. That's the first step in salvation. I want to encourage you to come receive Christ. I'll be happy to counsel with you, pray with you. If you're here and you need to make that next step, perhaps I need to talk to you. Perhaps you just need to come kneel up here at these, these pews. But I will assure you, if you don't respond in faith, you'll probably just stay where you are. Now, Father, thank you for the wonderful receptivity of this congregation. They've received the word. Thank you for their kindness in listening. Father, I pray that they've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit talking about discipleship, talking about authentic Christianity. This is what needs to be taking place in our churches. And all too often, Father, we just go through the routine of worship service one after another after another, seeing very little result because we're not applying the steps of discipleship. So speak, Father, today in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. Praise God.